Welcome to the Pit Stop Podcast. I'm Jordan Della Coltman. I'm joined by Tyler Walzak. Braden is away this weekend, but don't worry. Tyler and I are here to catch you up to, to uh, talk through everything. And it was an eventful, an eventful U.S. Grand Prix. This was one of my favorite races only because it's the first of a couple races that are in like kind of the prime time window. Now, I know you're not a huge fan of that, Tyler, because you got football to watch on Sunday. But it is kind of nice when you don't have to like make the decision between waking up at 6 a.m. or like finding time later in the day to watch the PVR race or whatever. There's something kind of convenient about. I mean, Japan was nice, too, because it was like. 10 o'clock at night it was like right yeah. after you know you come home from the bar or something you could just go right into f1 i kind of like the noon start I, I don't know how did you feel about the midday f1? so it's i lo- let me i'll tell the whole story so i did love the japan race because i liked the 10 p.m on saturday and i could stay in and do that and, and watch the race and kind of just that's my night um so i have uh, anyone no one really knows me that's listening i have three televisions in my living room so I'm very sports centric in terms of, of life. Everything I do is revolved around sports. And I turned one of the TVs to the race and I put the sound on because I think the start of a race is one of the most important parts of a race. And I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to watch the race. The football game's on. The Lions are playing. And uh, Carlos Sainz gets hit and goes out, spins out, and Verstappen takes off. And I paused it. I said, I'm going to watch this later because I already know Verstappen's winning. That was, that was the, it was first turn. And I was like, Verstappen's winning this race because this year he hasn't had the bad luck. He hasn't had the bad breaks. He has been dominant in every aspect of it. And so I, yeah, I, <laughs> I paused it, went back to football and watched it after the, the football night game and kind of just made it my nightcap, which was still awesome because even though I didn't know Verstappen was going to win, I had all the drama of it because of the way this race unfolded. And, but I, I mean, I didn't know Verstappen was going to win. So, I mean, it wasn't a guaranteed thing right from there. It felt no. like it, but it ended up being very eventful. As I said, let's go right through it. Cause as you, you've already, you've already led us to the first and most important part of it. We sometimes talk about qualifying. Qualifying was, was fine. It was, it was interesting, but there was very little to do with qualifying other than the fact that we were surprised to see, I think both of the Aston Martins did very well in this track, seemed to do really yeah. well. They qualified well. We'll talk about them in a second. Cause there's, they're, they're a good part of this story, but let's start about this. Let's talk about the start. As you said, it's always the most exciting part of the race. And uh, going into this one, one of the things I, also look forward to about Austin is I really like this track. I think I talked about it when we were doing kind of our preview a couple of weeks ago, but like mm-hmm. what I enjoy about this track is that it has a little bit of everything in terms of what you want in like a circuit, traditional circuit track. It's kind of got sections that feel like Paul Ricard and you've got that awesome S like sort of snake section of chicane. That's not really chicane because they really just hit it at full speed. And you just kind of mm-hmm. get those, those three little corners. Um, but it's got some good overtaking space, a couple tight, tight turns, but the, for me, the really cool and like best TV moment is that first corner because they come off the line and then they're immediately uphill into a hard, uh, left-hand turn, you know that even with the guys uh, on the front row getting there first, oftentimes the guys in the second row have actually got themselves in better position for the apex. Think about last year's race. So much drama happened right there at the beginning, and obviously it happened here. I wanted to get your opinion on this because when I watched it live, you know, I was immediately already off the couch, and that's one of the things I love about F1 is that in a split second, things can change. And it was like I expected this to be a, you know, pretty standard Carlos and Max kind of getting a little bit ahead. I was excited to see what Mercedes could do with both cars. There did not see this coming. And so this is my question to you. Obviously 
George gets the five second penalty for the yeah. contact, but was Carlos just too aggressive in him trying to cut back behind Max? And do you think Carlos could have done more as for himself to save his race day? Cause at the end of the day, he's the biggest loser here. He had a bad start. So it was clear that Verstappen, Verstappen got off the line faster just by that point zero zero four seconds. And it was very aggressive of Carlos to try to do that switch back the, un, the under over on that first turn, but he, he still, he did have a bad, I mean, yes, the way you phrase the question. Yes. He was a little too aggressive for the beginning of a race. He could have prolonged his race and had a better chance of winning. If he kind of just kept the one racing line instead of trying to deke under or dip under Verstappen to get that spot back. But at the same time, I mean, Lewis Hamilton said it best in the cool down room when they asked what happened to Carlos Sainz and Lewis just said, George took him out. Yeah. Like he it's was, interesting he though, because he saw it he and saw you see it, it. right there. But if you watch that replay, I think what's what, what I think both drivers were probably frustrated by is again, it, everything happened so fast to be fair, but mm. like Carlos makes a very aggressive move inside. Yes. He has the racing line. Yes. He has position. George obviously is in a position where he needs to yield in that situation. George, I think, got a better apex, which is tricky because, you know, you're, you're, you have to think for a moment like what the drivers are experiencing. So he's coming up to the top of that hill. You're braking, but you're not braking like you are in a traditional corner because you're already on a hill. So the speed difference coming into that corner is already there. He's immediately getting on the gas coming down. And, and then all of a sudden there's a car literally on his nose. But and he's but he's got to interrupt you because he took just as aggressive as signs was to try to dip under and get that George took an inside line with a wide turn to try to cut everybody else off too, which was also too aggressive for the start of a race. It's, it's funny. If you watch F1, you know that there's guys that are going to be aggressive on the first turn. And there's guys that know this first turn is not the race. Survive, there's, yeah, just yeah, survive. there's 300, 400 more turns, yeah, yeah. but both those guys decided at the same time to be aggressive about it and gain spots. And it worked out terribly for one of them and not so great for the other. I think the only, yeah. So the, the only thing I, I would also say in George's defense is that George is responsible for the collision because he's the, he's the following driver, right? The same way you yes. would be on the street. If, if a car slams on its brakes, regardless of the reason, the following vehicle can't rear end them or they're going to be held responsible. Yeah. I think Martin Brundle even said it in the, in the commentary though. I think from the Carlos perspective, Carlos can be frustrated that that's how it played out. But I think he also has to recognize I could have done more to prevent this. I could have prevented myself from being in that situation to begin with. And as you say, maybe that's something he takes forward as a driver into the future races of his career. Now he's a fairly experienced driver by this point. I think that I think a lot of those, like you say, those sort of aggressive tendencies are either baked in at this point. I think you either kind of have that or don't by the time you get to Formula One. I don't know how much these guys really evolve as drivers in this sport. I think they're kind of already the guys they're going to be, and it either works or it doesn't for them through their career. So it'll be interesting to see. Regardless, it shook up the front of the, the pack, which was exciting uh, right off the start. We also saw contact uh, into the early part of that lap from Sergio, and I think he, he made contact with Bottas, who then was bumped again later. He had a terrible first couple uh, laps there, but I wanted to talk about the Sergio part next, because this goes back to a conversation we've had multiple times on the show too. Should Sergio Perez have been black and white flagged or black and orange black flagged and, black and orange, black and orange flag, yeah. for the damage to his front wing, because we saw it go shooting off only a couple laps later. 
in exactly the fashion that the whole point of the orange flag rule is there. Yeah. So Should he have been penalized for that. I have a big problem. Again, this is another FIA issue where, cause it's not just in this race. It's not just a Perez thing. It's also an Alonzo thing, which we'll talk about, but yes. Yeah. Yeah, he should. But also, here's the thing is that isn't it a massive downgrade and massive flaw if you are missing part of your front wing? Like, it 100%. slows you down considerably. All those turns are not as tight as they could be. So, if I like, you already have kind of a disadvantage staying out there is only hurting yourself. But I get the safety part of it because that stuff just flies around. You can't have it. But at yeah. the same time, if it's holding on, I believe it. Did it hurt him that much? He finished fourth. I mean, that's, I guess what I mean is at the end of the day, these Red Bulls are capable of clearly, and we'll talk about pit stops in a second too, but like, would it, would it, would it have hurt him to go and just get a new wing and take the, I mean, we've seen Sergio Perez go out in the first lap of a race and come back and win it. Like this guy knows how to drive like, like insanely uh, from behind. And, and, and I wondered about that too, but it was just weird for me because we saw only a couple of races go. It obviously cost Magnuson a great start to a race too, where he was orange and black flagged. And, and I wondered about both he and Russell ended up with, with damage and yet they finished fourth, fifth. So it is kind of a weird, though, a very weird situation, I think. And maybe one we just keep an eye on moving forward with these new race directors in terms of where they do and don't apply these penalties. Well, that being said, there's this, the same race director for the rest of the races now. Yeah, that's right. just the that's same true. guy. I meant more so, sort of moving into future seasons is what I meant. But. Right, right. And well, it's it's going to be weird. It's going to be interesting because, yes, theoretically, he should have been black and orange flag. But I don't think that some of the guys from the previous races should have been black and orange flag. Well, that's what I mean. I guess what is the standard? And that's what felt like it was kind of an odd, odd application. That's where there's no inconsistency. So um, – I'm, we'll, I'm just jumping around now because we're not going to just sort of go through this linearly. There's some things I want to talk about. So I'm going to jump yeah. forward for a second. Let's talk about the, the, the Lance Stroll, uh, Fernando Alonso collision. I'm assuming people who are listening to the show have actually watched the races. If you haven't, I'm really sorry, but we're not doing a very good job of like re-illustrating it for you. Go watch the highlights. They've watched. They've, you're not, yeah. There's no way you're listening to this and not thinking. <laughs> if you're listening spoilers. to this thinking that we're just going to help you understand what you did not watch, this is not a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Stop now. Go to YouTube. Watch the highlights. Then come back. Okay. We'll wait yeah. for you. Okay, good. All right. So here's my thing that we, we, we Lance Stroll, as I said, both Lance and uh, Vettel, great races, great Aston Martin performances through qualifying. They put themselves into really competitive positions. Obviously, it helped that Carlos Sainz was bumped out early. They benefited also from sort of the Perez and the George Russell sort of incident because both of those guys had some early um, issues. But then the Aston Martins also went long uh, on their first stints. So they had really put themselves into an interesting position and it was kind of a developing story. And then obviously, we had this incident later in the race where Lance Stroll was defending his position against Alonso coming off of the safety car from Bottas, who had, of course, just beached himself. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like a a collision. It had been a safety car. We, you know, everything had been cleared. He was safe. They they were just about to go back to racing when these two guys kind of got themselves saddled up behind each other. And then the safety car comes in, everybody gets going. And I think Martin Brundle even made a joke, something like safety cars tend to lead to more safety cars. And that's kind of what happened. So Alonso obviously trying to make an overtake and Lance very aggressively defending kind of cut right back in front of him gets rear ended. We literally saw like the undercarriage of Alonzo in like two wheels in the air, doing a full fucking Cobra halfway down the track. He was lucky not to hit the first little corner makes contact with the side. 
We'll talk about him in a second because I don't know how the hell he drove away from that. Lance Stroll is in way worse shape yeah, uh, and obviously ends the race for him. The first question I want to ask before we get to the whole Alonzo start of this, because it's just the growing legend of Alonzo. Should there have been a red flag for the amount of debris and damage there? Or were you happy to see the safety car and kind of continuing the race sort of forward the way it, it had already been going? With, this is, on this first, is a great on, question. On sort of first. Yeah. Yeah. The, when I first saw it, I was like, that's definitely a red flag. There's shit all over the track, but I didn't want one. I did not want one. I did not want, I don't like when there's red flags. I understand them, but I don't like the fact that there's going to now it's like a 20 minute wait or whatever. I, I just think it puts a little damper on everything, especially because those guys got it out pretty quick. Like there was no complaints from, yeah, there was did. no complaints from any of the drivers about the track conditions with all that debris out there because they moved it. They gave a line to pass through fairly quickly and they should, because I mean, there's no way that that's not expected at these races. So I don't think, I think they handled it properly. And I, think that that's the best way to handle it. I don't know. You have, I mean, you have two minutes to just create a racing line. You don't need to clear all the debris in one go. You just need to make sure the cars can get by without driving over a piece of um, anything that's on the track. So this incident, I think was, well, it was sort of the most sort of uh, fireworks of the race and the the biggest sort of incident. But for me, the big part that it contributed to is the storyline of Lewis Sebastian Vettel and Alonzo are three of the biggest sort of protagonists or characters in this week's drama. And all three of them are like literally living legends in this sport. World champions, the other three world champions still out there on the grid. One is retiring. One probably should have retired about five years ago and somehow continues to drive. And I mean, continues to drive because not only did Alonzo keep the car on the road after that kind of impact. And I can't imagine what the impact was coming back off of that, got the car back to the pits. They cleaned it up as best they could. Could have done a little more with that mirror that went flying off later. Yeah. But give the man some credit. He finishes the race and not only finishes the race, uh, but he hit the wall too. Oh yeah. No, he was in rough, rough shape, but he's not even the last place car. I mean, he literally finishes piece yeah, like unbelievable. The guy, the guy just, just, yeah, it was just very, very, for me as a fan of the sport, very impressive to see what he was capable of doing with the damaged car under the circumstances, under what I'm sure was a very severe, uh, you know, physical blow to the body, to the, just everything. Well, here, I have a question for you. Yeah. What do you think hurt most Alonzo hitting the wall? Or him biting his tongue on the radio after the incident, because there's no <laughs> way he's talking shit about Lance Stroll on that. I was radio. gonna say, I was gonna say that first meeting next summer when they're together, or in the off season when they're getting ready for next season, there's gonna be some some you know a little a little bit of uh, sportsmanship there. The challenge with it though is again like this is pretty much what Lance does. I mean, he's, he, he doesn't, he, he, he just does dumb things sometimes. And in this situation, he put himself in the same, I would guess I would ask you this is Alonzo responsible for this incident the same way that Russell was because he was the following driver or is there more well, that's... In situation on Lance because Lance put both of them in a dangerous situation. Yeah. Lance did move left, but I would argue that he didn't move left enough to have caused it. Like, there was a there was another car length beside him, but he was so late for that move. And it was just honestly, it was a foot maybe that he moved. Sure, but he but did enough, put yeah. Alonzo in the back. Like Alonzo also could have 
got out of that um out of that stream earlier and been like hey i'm gonna pass you because i know that yeah. your dad is in charge of me next year but he decided to thinking make it about late. that though he's a hundred percent thinking about that because <laughs> at the end of the race when they said hey like so lance stroll caused an accident he said no it was a racing incident See, I think he thinks that after the race. I think in no. that moment, he doesn't no. think about what cars like, around we him. We know who Fernando Alonso that? is. We know who Fernando Alonso is. He is never afraid to speak his mind on the radio. And he did not say shit about no. that at all. He said, oh, I moved late. He's like, ah, oh, crap. Oh, I moved late. He, I swear, was in there like <laughs> fuming, like trying to get, like, get me out of this car. Cause I just have to like, I just have to like, ah just pace back and forth with frustration. But the fact that he was able to just get that car back around into the pit, put a new wing on, get some damage done or uh, damage fixed was, and then finished P seven was incredible. He was in the air and in the wall and he still came back to finish P seven. Now the stats won't see that the next day, but. Well, they did give a uh, post race. They did apply a penalty that will apply to the grid position for Lance Stroll next race. Um, yeah, so, so let's yeah, talk about that. He gets, a, he gets a six six place penalty or something. I think it's Go three ahead. place. Yeah, I think it's three place. Three. Oh, okay, Sorry. Lance Stroll gets a after the race is done. Lance Stroll for that incident gets a penalty for the next race, whereas Alonso gets a penalty for this race for driving an unsafe car that should have been black and orange. Now I'm firmly against that that call. I don't understand it. Why would you make that call after the race? You had 34 laps. To bring him in to fix his gear. Yep. 100%. And he didn't. So in my mind, this is like calling or missing a penalty call or missing an offside or something in a different sport. The race is over. You can't go back and make that call. You either make it then within the 34 laps that he had to be black and orange flagged, or he gets away with it. I don't, I, I, so was, the, I was he black and orange flagged? Was he black no, he and orange flagged? Okay. So the difference here is, so you're right. I think that if he had been black and orange flagged and had not followed that, had just carried on and not come in, penalty. that's one thing. In this situation, what you're saying is that they evaluated post-race that he should have been orange and black yes. and orange, and he wasn't. Yeah, because Haas said something. So at the same time, though, don't you think that, that there is actually some, like that there's some accountability or benefit to the fact that at least when they've made a mistake, they're going to admit it and apply the penalty still. Like, wouldn't you love that in another sport where after the fact they're like, Oh yeah, actually we did fuck this up. It's not going to affect this specific outcome, but because you're playing yeah, yeah. the exact same team tomorrow or next week, we can apply a penalty to that. Now it's different here because yeah. the way these penalties are applied, it's either five seconds to the end of your race or it's a grid penalty in the future, I guess it's a different thing, but at least there's some integrity to the fact they didn't just pretend it never happened. Right? No, they should say they should not pretend it didn't happen and they should not give a penalty. They should say we were wrong. We messed up. We will be better, but then nothing should be, no driver should be penalized for it. They just get not for it. this instant, not, not for an in-race infraction, which they are the ones that are supposed to bring people in right. to have unsafe cars pit and fix that stuff. It's their responsibility, not the responsibility. Well, it's supposed to be under the guidance of the team saying, Hey, our car is not unsafe, but everyone's going to push the boundaries. Everyone's going to push the limits. That's the whole point of this sport is to push the limits of what your car can do. And so they're not going to bring a guy in or a car in to be like, Hey, your front wing may or may not be damaged enough that it's going to scare other drivers. That is the FIA's call and the race director's call to make. If he doesn't make it during the race, then you're fine. Because what happens when there is someone that's like, hey, I probably should have came in. It was not a safe car. 
and nobody knows about it. It's the FIA that should be bringing them in or the race directors should be bringing them in. If they don't bring them in and the race ends, too late. Fair enough. They let's got talk away about, with it. Let's talk about pit stops for a second. And obviously the one that uh, nearly derailed Max Verstappen for the, from, yeah, from a position was... to win here. And it got a little bit testy on that radio. So speaking yeah. about Alonzo and his radio calls, Max did not hold back. So Red Bull is known for incredibly fast pit stops. They hold the world record for the fastest pit stop in F1. They're incredibly good at it. We know that they practice it. And yet it did not go well twice in this race, both his pit stop, which was disastrous. And then even the pit stop after that for Perez was slow for their standards. I believe it was 4.8 and they're used to doing this sub three. Yeah. So the big thing with the first one was it's, it, it seemed like the torque gun or something about the torque wasn't working. They couldn't get the, the nut going on to the oncoming wheel at the front uh, left yeah. of the car to, to, to tighten. So he had to grab the backup gun. Um, and, and, and he got it tightened. They got out of there, but I believe he was stationary for like 18 seconds. Yeah. It was like 11, massive. Second, 11 and a half seconds when uh, they were already fighting at that point for, uh, the win. I mean, they were in the lead position or, or, or competitive to get back to it. And they all of a sudden dropped way back. Of course it didn't matter in the end. Cause Max does have the fastest car and nobody really had the pace to contend with him. But in the moment he came out there, I mean, that is the, those moments where you really truly see who Max Verstappen is, not all of the like being polite and humble and all the shit that we get when he's winning and everything's going well, but yeah. when the shit hits the fan, the real vicious, angry and uh, contemptuous Max Verstappen comes out. I believe his exact quote was beautiful, fucking beautiful. Yeah. Following. That. So wait, I'm going to defend him a little bit. And I know that this is a, a weird thing, but yes, he said, beautiful, fucking beautiful is what he said. But then a lap later, I forget Christian Horner came on. It's like, Hey Max head down. You got like 20 laps left. And he's like, I know. Yeah, I got this. Just leave me alone. Like he knew he was still going to win the race. He was just pissed off that he had to actually work at it. Yeah. And I think that's what I was trying to point out is that yeah. when He's it's somebody else and the, the reality is this is still a team sport. Yes, they are the driver. They are the uh, they get all the glory because they do most of like 96, 97 percent of the work. But in those extra three or four percent of the time, it is an incredibly critical moment of a race to have a pit stop. It is incredibly dangerous in terms of what it could do to derail a race. Simple mistake can absolutely escalate everything. It's the fastest pit stop in motorsports. Any in any of the any, go watch NASCAR. I mean, they've got like two guys who have to run around the whole car. It's a completely different thing. Yeah. Here you've got like nine guys who all have to work in perfect synchronization, and and, and it's amazing that like almost ninety percent of them are come off flawlessly, right? Yeah. But when you have the one that goes wrong, it all comes tumbling down. And and yeah, he did. He let him have it, and then it was all for nothing. And which is what makes him look even more like a spoiled brat. As I far know. as I'm oh, concerned. That's the part I hate is because that like, you like, know, you're Max Verstappen. Just go get it back. Like, you know, and you're going to get it back. Not only. Okay. So yes, you're Max Verstappen, but more importantly, you're driving an Adrian Newey car. That is probably the best car we've seen in the last three or four years in terms of how it has dominated everybody else yeah. in a straight line. You know, you are, you, as you say, you know, you're going to win. You knew the minute, Carlos spun out. You knew already. Yeah, it didn't matter it what else happened. Now, yeah. let's talk about what did happen because it was fun to watch. He and Leclerc had an interesting little tussle and a couple laps where they were fighting hard. Leclerc just didn't have it. They don't have it in that car. I think they've accepted that. They're moving forward. But this was this race for a lot of this race, a lot of the story of this race was Lewis Hamilton and the fact yeah. that Mercedes has really taken huge steps. And I think at this point, as 
we've all accepted. It's probably not going to be a win. They're probably not going to find themselves on the top of the podium. This was probably yeah, his best true. shot and he got real close. But most importantly to all of that, Mercedes has identified what their problem is. They're working now towards fixing that problem. The Toto Wolf in the post race had a very interesting comment that I thought was very telling, which is that he's already accepted and, and, and almost excited about the fact that they're not going to be the constructors champion because in knowing that they're going to have more wind tunnel time now than they've had in a decade. Yeah. And there's something to that because they know what they need to do moving forward. This race was really important. I think for the morale of that team, for the morale of, of the seven time world champion in Lewis, I said, to, the, to my wife who was watching with me, I turned her at one point. I said, you know, it's funny. You watch Lewis leading a race and you know, for him, he must feel more comfortable right now than he's felt in the last like nine months, because for 10 years, this is what he was doing. This is what yeah. he knows. This is what he's good at. And unfortunately, Mercedes strategy was really good. It gave them track position. It put them in that situation. They went with the hard tires because they'd had more success on them, but they were never going to be as fast as those medium tires. And they were just really hoping that those medium tires would break down faster on max and they, they could hold them off. They just couldn't. The yeah. truth is, I think they did everything they possibly could. They threw everything at it. Give Lewis full credit. He drove out of his mind, did really, really well. Didn't make mistakes, you know, cause he could have easily given up that position earlier. And it was fun. I mean, as a fan of his and as a fan of the sport, for me, this was the race I've been waiting for all year where it's just like, oh, okay, look, you've, this team's still got something in there. They still know how to do this and they're, and they're putting it back together. And it gives me optimism. I mean, you and I both cheer for teams that have traditionally let us down right before everything really starts to matter in the sports they play in. Yeah. And it's that feeling of like, okay, at least you can see some some signs of hope, some, some rookies doing well, or some, something about how this team is functioning, moving into next year gives me something to be hopeful about. This is the race I'll hold on to in the off season, knowing that maybe Mercedes can come right back and we can actually have, you know, the three-way battle that we were promised all year. Maybe that's, that, think, that's my hope for it. I still think they win a race this year. I'm not, wow, that's a up bold on that step. I think they win in Brazil. I think Lewis Hamilton wins in Brazil. Wow, I like this. Okay, yeah. Brazil is definitely a track he did very well. If you remember last year at the sprint, oh, he did I remember last very year. well. That's uh, why that I'm not writing him off that would of be Brazil All right. because All right. he knows he does not forgot about Brazil last year. That's right. That's and if right. I haven't forgotten about Brazil last year, Lewis Hamilton has not forgotten about Brazil last year. And I'm finding myself rooting for him more and more. I did not root for Lewis or Max last year until that last race, and I was one thousand percent rooting for Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> um, but I was very much this season find myself more and more rooting for Lewis Hamilton because I just, I, I don't know. He's very, he's a class act and he's the epitome of sports and sportsmanship and competitiveness, like everything wrapped into one. And I just think it's the sport is better when he's on in the, on the podium. Like if we could get one more year of Hamilton and Verstappen fighting, like if next year, if Mercedes gets ahead of the 2023 car now, Oh my goodness. Like how amazing would that be to see Hamilton come back and him and Verstappen battle it out one more time? hundred percent. And it, and you know, it felt like that for just a brief moment there. We had a couple laps yeah. where it was like, Oh, this is what we had last year. And wasn't it good? Wasn't that awesome? So good. It was right? awesome with and, him. Ahead. And I'm sorry, like, oh, but Verstappen Leclerc, Leclerc is not that guy. He's not there yet, you know, and maybe know. he'll never be there. Maybe Ferrari is still, 
trying to figure everything out. I mean, let's talk about them for a second. Cause it's kind of funny. Like the, I don't think they had a lot to do with this race other than that first incident. We, you know, obviously Leclerc did well to come back from his grid penalty and, and ends up on the podium and good for him and, 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 and whatnot. But the truth is that they were kind of a non-factor because every time they were kind of yeah. in a fight, it was over before it really got started. And you already were hearing on the radio, a plan E uh, consider oh my God. And ABC. Like, so we all know it's ABC. Sick. And like, luckily they, hey, they did benefit from the safety <sighs> car, but that wasn't plan E. There's no way that the I safety know. car was plenty. And I just love it. It's like, uh, excuse me, a driver. Sorry, I don't want to upset you. A plan E. Are you interested? What do you? What are your no, opinions? We're sitting here in front of all these computers, all these statistics. Every other team has all these strategies. We're here just going. What do you want to do? Yeah, it's so so <laughs> dumb. It's so dumb. It actually makes me because I was a huge Leclerc and Signs fan when they went to Ferrari. I was like, this is awesome. Ferrari's going to be so good. And then I just more and more felt my heart just kept going towards Gasly. And I really, really, really wanted to like Ferrari and Leclerc and signs. And I still like Leclerc, but it's like, man, you were not Verstappen and you were not Hamilton. Like you're almost just like this perfect picture of like what a man should look like, but you just like, there's nothing else. But you're kind of boring. Like you're kind of boring and like a great race by Leclerc. Unbelievable race for him to come 12th and then finish third in the podium. But until the rest of their team gets it together, it's not like they're not, no one's afraid of you. Yeah, no, exactly. They, they literally are more Keystone cops than, than anything. Like they just constantly shoot themselves in the foot. They constantly make these mistakes and it's just disappointing. Right. Cause that's obviously, yeah, it is what it is. Look, and let's put, wrap. A, put a sponsor on your wing too. I'm so sick of that <laughs> naked rear wing on a Ferrari. Put the Marlboro back on or something. I hate just seeing the black wing up there. Get something. Get something on there. Well, I'm sure that the I'm sure there's some some suitors who have been trying. I'm not sure what that, the reasoning that is. That rear wing is probably worth twenty million dollars. I to I'm have sure a sponsorship. It's, I'm sure it's there. very expensive. Um, can we get on there? How do we yeah, maybe. Let's we, try. we can try. All right. It's let's empty. wrap. Let's wrap this race up. Uh, I, I'm I'm sure there's a thousand other things we could talk about, but Vettel, Vettel. Let's just talk about Vettel that's real what, quick. That's where I was gonna go because the, the 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 saddest part I think for a lot of people in this race was the fact that you have, as I said, it was it was Alonso, it was Lewis, and then it's Vettel, and it was so fun to see him leading a race. It's like I think they said something like it was like the the 290th race he's led a lap in or something. Like he's he's had all of this success, all of these. Uh, just phenomenal career highlights. And I think there's like, there's just an inkling of buyer's remorse. He's starting to like express about thinking, that. man, I'm just starting it. to see some success in this car. Do I really want to call it a day? I know. And I don't know, man, it might've been, a, he, he's looking at Alonzo. I think that's it. He's looking at Alonzo going, shit, how old is this now? Let me just say this. Alonzo did leave the sport and come back. Yeah. I'm not saying it's going to happen because, you know, Vettel's a different guy. But he might get a little itchy. It's, it's been tough. To see a return. It's tough watching him race because he was sixth the weekend before, and he should have finished sixth this past week. He also had a bad pit stop. Yeah, that's what did um, him in, right? He would yeah. have probably been a top and five he still, finisher. He still finished seventh or something. Yeah, he still finished yeah. seventh. But he he, he deserved penalties. a much better fit. He would have come out. I believe they they estimated he would have come out in after that pit stop in fourth or fifth, depending on just kind of where he fit in there. And yeah. there was still a guy I believe that needed to pit ahead of him. I think Perez still hadn't done a second pit. And so he had a chance, man. He had a chance to at least get some more points. And then, yeah, just the heartbreak of it. And it was, I mean, 
very uh, unless you're a diehard Red Bull fan, I don't think there was much heartbreak to see Max struggle there because it's like great, cool, this is fun. But it was devastating to watch that happen for, and it was again, it's a bit like Aston Martin, don't let him down. Yeah. The complete same problem in the pits yeah. where the gun wasn't working. But with Verstappen, I'm like, oh, here we go. We got a race. We have got a race because Verstappen is in trouble in the pit. And with Vettel, it's like, no, not Don't Vettel. do this to no, this guy. Come on. Let, let yeah, Grandpa get out there for feelings. one more. I know. So it's a, that that definitely, you know, that's what it is. Look, it was an it was a very eventful race. I think that was what we're always looking for is is lots of incidents, lots of situations where we've got overtakes and all that. It's a great track for it. It did really well. And at the end of the day, it, it ends up being kind of what we probably expected it to be, which is what's kind of disappointed about it. You have this sort of high event race with not that much drama. Look, it's nice to see Lewis on the podium as a fan of his. But again, you got, you know, a Ferrari and a Red Bull on the podium. Whoop de doo, a Ferrari, a Red Bull and a Mercedes on the podium. Whoop de doo. It's just surprising yeah. it wasn't George. But it is what it is. At the end of the day, Red Bull wins the Constructors Championship this weekend. Obviously, it was a difficult weekend for them, and we haven't really talked about that. But it was interesting because... You know, there's 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 occasionally moments in sports where you have like a, an important figure in a specific organization like pass away or, you know, something happens like some kind of tragedy strikes an organization right in the middle of the playoff run or something like that. Yeah. And it obviously is kind of like a binding thing. They all kind of come together for. But obviously, you know, losing the the founder and owner of of Red Bull, Dietrich Mateschitz, um, the Austrian sort of exclude like recluse billionaire who who created the energy drink company and then kind of got into extreme sports and eventually created what is one of F1's most dominant teams. I mean, mm-hmm. pretty big impact on a lot of drivers careers is, you know, a lot of drivers have come up through their system and program Vettel included. Um, but like, I, you know, passing away after final practice three before qualifying on Saturday had to be very difficult for that team. They all made it work. Obviously they figured it out and they'll have a week to kind of reflect on it all, but it, it it's just sort of one of those weird sports things that happens where tragedy strikes and then, you know, you win the championship the same day yeah. and, you know, storybook, I guess, from their perspective and, and kind of just odd the way it, it all plays out, but bittersweet for them, I suppose. Uh, but also really important or big for the sports is the first time in the hybrid era that a team other than Mercedes um, has won uh, the championship from the constructor side, which is huge. I mean, obviously, you know, yeah. from, from that perspective, it's, it's massive. massive. It's massive. massive. Yeah. So, and, but let's um, like, before we, I guess this, well, I'm going to talk about the race, but the constructors championship, I know that we're talking about like the podium finishes, but this look at the construction, yeah. the constructors standings, you have, Technically, Mercedes can still beat Ferrari for second place. Yep. Yep. You have a two-three battle. Striking distance. Yep. Yeah, and then you have Alpine versus McLaren. They're only six points. McLaren is only six points behind Alpine. So, the next three races for them, four races, three races, three races left. Three races. Three races are that is huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fourth place. Every point matters at this point, right? And then you got six and seven battling out. Alfa Romeo is ahead of Aston Martin by one point. Yep. And then below that, even eighth and ninth, you have Haas at 38 and Alpha Tori at 36 points. So even then, like everyone, everyone is in a place where they're fighting for something. So the next three races mean everything to every team except for Red Bull and Williams, which is yeah. kind of crazy. Like yeah, everyone has 100%. a reason to race still. There's no the only people that aren't really racing are the ones that are gonna be winning all the races. Yeah, or Williams, because Nicholas Latifi still drives for them. Yeah. So so the first place and the last place cars don't really matter anymore it's everybody else yep. and everybody else is fighting for money 
like yep. lots and lots yeah. and lots wind of tunnel time money the opportunity that that uh, every, every part about that is it, you're 100% right and it's great that it's a bunch of these head to heads that's what's really fun about it because you can see yeah. it it's very clear that team and that team this team and this team and they're all yeah. you know they end up usually near each other on the grid you get these great battles mid race and and it is exciting so that'll that'll be there we're going to talk about that in a second let's take a quick break and then we'll hit you up with some uh news and a preview of the Mexican Grand Prix Hey, Tyler. Yeah? Do you like basketball? Do I? Well, you're going to love this then. The Backyard Basketball Podcast has returned for its second season. Christian Steck and Braden Della Coltman talk hoops every week of the NBA season. No topic from the hardcourt is off limits. So if you love basketball, then this show is for you. You can subscribe today anywhere you get your podcasts or learn more on our website, ordinarypodcasts.com. Okay, let's jump to uh, a couple sort of news stories that emerged this week and then we'll talk about the mexican grand prix and uh but first the biggest news of the week obviously logan Sargent has been announced as williams next driver replacing nicholas latifi so he will drive alongside alex albon he comes over uh from america but he has really been racing in europe he's a formula uh two champion uh and i think all he has to do now is finish in like the top six of this season's uh, Formula Two uh, season, which he's currently, I think, sitting in like fourth or fifth to get enough super license points, which was obviously the problem we heard earlier in the season with uh, the other American driver uh, that was looking for this seat or a seat. Uh, he 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 will very likely get there, um, and in doing so, he will become the first American driver to do to drive in in Formula One in almost twenty years. I think it is, maybe even longer. Um, and a really big and important thing we talked obviously about Colton Herder a couple weeks ago and how it felt like a missed opportunity for F1 when they didn't grant him the super license that Red Bull was trying to get him so he could drive with Alpha Tori. They didn't grant that to him, but we do get an American driver and that's big. We've got three American races next season. They're going to Vegas, obviously Miami and on Austin stay on the calendar and the explosion of Formula One in North America just makes this even more of a smart signing for Williams. When you heard this, uh, I know your first thoughts were about his name. You want to tell greatest us about- name you could have for... For an, for American, an, F1 driver. an American yeah. F1 driver, Logan Sargent. What a name. That is a name. And also, this guy's got everything you want in an F1 in, a, in what embodies an F1 driver. He's extremely good looking. He's got a great name, and he drives very, very fast. All three of those things are what teams look at. You have to have like, – the better the name, the better the ability to sell your driver. The better the look, the more sponsors you're going to get. And the faster you are, the more races you win, the more money you get. If anyone says that all like it's a 33% split between all of that stuff. That's why Schumacher has a seat right now. It's why Mazepin had a seat when he came in. It's why Lance Stroll has a seat is because their name is attached to somehow money. So Logan Sargent doesn't come with money, but he comes with a name, an American name, which is going to be huge for the sport. And he's got all the good looks, all the ability to sell product. And he's going to drive fast. It's everything that you'd want in a driver. And I think Williams is making the right choice, bringing him in. Uh, I just want to clarify. He He's he's currently third. So he yeah. he's in a very good position to, to get this. I don't think they would have announced this if they were worried he wasn't going to finish with enough points. Um, he just so has yeah, to finish no, sixth or high. He's third. He's right. to finish sixth. Yeah, he'd have to. Yeah. It, and I think there's only one, one race one left round for them, go, too. Yeah. Look, they uh, they made a really smart decision here, I think, at Williams. It obviously uh, affords them all, as you say, all that advertising money that they're going to want to continue to develop. The new owners of Williams, I believe, are a 
part sort of like the conglomerate and a company that's also partly American. So it makes a lot of sense. Obviously Haas would have been the more like, I don't know, kind of home team decision, but I think that this just, this just looks really good. It makes a lot of sense. It, he's, as you say, like put him on a box of Wheaties. It's going to do really, really well. And I like, I like the, I like what Williams is doing there. They've got the experience of Albon. They can have this other young guy who again has great experience. Um, I was just looking back through his CV again. I mean, he, he did three seasons in formula three and his third season, he had actually been offered a seat in formula two and chose to stay in formula three. Cause he felt like he still had things he wanted to do and, and, and develop there. So he's clearly done this the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in so many, you know, he, he's not jumping any queue, which is great. He, he earns it. He's only 21 though. So he's still, you know, a young guy but he's got a lot of experience and it'll be exciting to see what he can do in that Williams car. We don't expect Williams to all of a sudden jump up in the standings next season, but I think that they have a plan and, and, and a strategy over the next sort of four or five years to continue to try to get themselves back into a place where they can be competing in the mid table. Like we've been seeing with the way Haas has, has had a step forward this year. I think Williams is trying to do the same kind of thing and he could be a big part of their future. And obviously a big part of like a Mercedes pipeline future too, or an Aston Martin pipeline, because that's a big part of this too. Right. So. Well, Nick DeVries, if you look at Nick DeVries next to Logan Sargent, next year will be their first years on the F1 circuit in a in a full seat. DeVries is 27 years old. I know. He's taking and a Sargent's long time 21. to get here. So he's, he's six years ahead yeah. of DeVries, who's getting his first chance. And he's an American driver in a sport where it just got to North America. It is just now, over the past three years, becoming hugely popular. He is going with all Americans that love F1 that are looking for some reason to cheer for an American. This is the guy is great signing. Yeah. And it, you know, um, it's an important, it's an important thing from, from how F1 is trying to grow, which makes sense. I think Williams definitely probably not, maybe not felt pressure to do that, but you know, there was some, some push to do that. Um, and, and as I say, I, I, like the 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 opportunity that he's going to get with all of that endorsement and all of that is just going to help grow the sport and that's that's what they want to do so there it is mm-hmm. uh you mentioned nick devries obviously that was official officialized officialized that's not a real word uh it, it was made official there you go made official there you go. uh about a week and a half ago or whatever and as you say like he's 27 um worked a long time to get here so that's exciting it leaves us with one seat and it sounds like it's between two people at this point that haas uh it's it's Still Mick Schumacher or it's Nico Hulkenberg. And I have a real strong feeling it's Hulkenberg because it's sounding really? like the guys at Haas are ready for a little bit more experience. I, be- I believe Gene Haas's exact quote last week was, well, he's very, this is just speaking about Mick Schumacher. Well, he's very expensive. He's wrecked a lot of cars for us. I'm not sure he's the smartest decision financially. I find that so crazy because financially his name is the only reason I care about Haas. Like Magnuson, yeah. sure, whatever. Magnuson can be an he should be an F1 driver. Do you ever care about where Magnuson finishes? And I did in the beginning of the season because it was cool yeah. he was back, but then I didn't cool give a shit. Back. Yeah, I don't even know where he finished the other day. I think he had a great race yesterday. I'm just impressed when they both finish. Yeah. So Schumacher I actually kind of want I root for because of the history in the sport. Yeah. So you're getting rid of that. You're getting rid of a name to go back to Hulkenberg. Really? That's a weird choice to me, but also Haas. I Haas. I don't see them. Like, I'm not surprised by that. I don't think that they're the smartest team in formula one. No, I don't think anyone thinks that other than maybe themselves. 
Just Gunther uh, Steiner. <laughs> so I hate that guy. I hate him again. I liked him for a little bit in this season, but now I hate him again. Why is I don't know why he's a race director. Uh, yeah, I don't know either. That's a good question. Um, let's jump ahead. <laughs> let's jump ahead to what we have coming up. Uh, it's back-to-back weekends, which is always more fun. We don't have to wait too long. Uh, we get to go right off to Mexico City. And this is, uh, I, I said I loved the Austin race because I think the track is awesome. This is also an amazing track. It's it's one mm-hmm. of the coolest looking tracks. Again, I'm all about like what the track looks like on TV. That's what I care about. And in the video game. Gotta love the video game because it's a great way to learn about the track. But in on TV, this is one of the coolest things. This track um, uh, in Mexico, the Autodrome Hermanos Rodriguez, uh, a great track. And it is one of the, like I say, the, the, the piece de resistance of this track is the fact that grandstands 14 and 15 are an old baseball stadium. So say, does this it go track through a baseball through. stadium? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you come around uh, out of two turns. I think it's turn 12. You disappear from view. When you come back around turn 14, you are inside of a baseball stadium, literally yeah. a two, two level giant baseball stadium. There's 20,000 or 40,000 fans sitting there. The noise must be insane because I know it's loud in those cockpits, but I know they can feel and hear the noise at that level. And you come around there in a very slow corner that's the other thing it's like a parade you get a lot of high speed on this track but when you come around here it's two tight turns you come through there the roar of that crowd i think this would be one of the coolest races to see live just because of this this specific part of the venue it must just be like a party in there oh it's and it's mexico think of what what i think of is and i know we probably this doesn't translate well but uh, I'm, i'm assuming we don't have a lot of pga golf uh followers uh, as hey, you don't know but you don't hey, know we do but if you think of this them driving through that baseball stadium is the same as the 16th pole par three at uh yeah the scottsdale um yeah. open or whatever it is the, yeah the, 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 the waste, waste management, management. yeah so that's this and it's just a party and everyone that goes there knows this 16th hole is not your average golf clap quiet it is raucous and loud and fun and energy and the guys there the players the golfers know that they're trying to impress people in that on that hole much like these guys know that when they're going through there it's going to be louder it's going to be uh, it's it's a frenzy it's it's people are there to party in that area and i mean it's it's fun to watch and it, it will be loud it will be louder also this track to note is two kilometers above sea level yeah it's a it is a it's a very uh high elevation of a track as you say it's got um two drs zones um and two like high high speed uh sections the obviously the the main pit straight is incredibly long that's where mm-hmm. most of the overtakes occur because you've got this long space drs opportunity to, to, to get in there the other thing that's interesting we haven't talked a lot about this but we're talking about where the DS, drs zones are um but what I also think is interesting about how these tracks are set up is where the DRS detection zone is, right? And the whole thing is so with- crazy to me. We, I, 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 I'm so glad you said that because if you look at the maps and you don't usually look at the maps of the race, the DRS detection zones are yeah. not where you think they were. No, they would be. 100%. And this one especially because as I just talked about turns uh, 12 through 13, 14, you're coming through that, that uh, stadium. 
the DRS detection zone is right at the end of there. So if you can stay close to a driver going into those close, cl close corners, you come out of that, you have a high, high percentage of having got that DRS, regardless of the next three corners, yeah. because it isn't until you get back on that home straight that you, that you've got the actual advantage of DRS. And, and I think that that is an underrated factor in how these tracks are laid out and designed, because it's all about positioning yourself to get to those detection zones within that, you know, second under that second uh, sort of delineation to, 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 to get that advantage. And we've also seen, and I think it was more effective in, in Brazil, but I might, and I might be wrong. It was, it may not have been in Mexico, but I, I recall last year in one of these last couple of races, there were situations like this where a driver would take overtake someone in one DRS zone and then immediately come around the corner to the next DRS zone and be overtaken again. And I believe Sergio Perez did it multiple times last year. Uh, and this is one of those tracks again, where there's opportunities for that because you have high speed uh, straightaways into tight corners, into high speed straightaways with DRS. So it, this is going to be a fun race. It's a, a 71 lap race. Here's the only downside. I don't mean to rain on your parade, but there is a lot of rain in the forecast. Oh no, really? Yeah. So hopefully not all weekend. Hopefully it just affects some of it. Maybe it affects qualifying, which is always kind of fun. I love yeah. a wet qualifying in a dry race. Because That's the best scenario. The table. That's the um, best scenario. But you know what else is kind of fun? A race that has some rain in the middle. I don't like rain at the beginning. I like rain in the I middle the because I love it when you have to change strategy. Not enough that you got to go to like the full wets. You got to like that's no, nobody's enjoying that. But a little rain. Eh, I like best. when there's rain just on one corner. That's fun too. That's more at yeah. spa. <laughs> like, yeah. Just on like turns one, two, and three, there's rain. And then the rest of the track is dry. To me, listening to those radios is the most interesting because nobody knows what they're going to do yeah, exactly. or how to handle it. And it comes down to the driver at that point. But I hope, yeah, I hope there's rain during qualifying and no rain during the race. That would be ideal. All right. Well, we will see where, where it all plays out. Obviously, as I said, uh, qualifying will go Saturday and I believe again, you know, we're looking at an early start for this one. Let me pull it up. I don't have the exact start time on me here. There it I is. Think it's it's, a, it's at one. Yeah, you're right. So it's an hour later than Austin was. So it's a 1 PM start on Sunday for the actual race. So again, maybe, maybe Tyler tunes in and he, he sees that Max is leading and then he tunes out and he checks it in back again at like 11 PM. There has to be something. It's gotta be, it wasn't just that Max was leading. It was that his main oh, competitor okay. that could have won the race. So he was out of the race. Here's my question for you. Max has won the world championship. The team has won the constructors championship. Does Red Bull put all their focus in getting Checo Perez a victory on home soil, knowing what that would mean to him? Is that, Red Bull's focus, knowing they're not going to get caught. They're not in danger. Should they not be just rewarding all of the sacrifice he has made over the last two years to be the ultimate wingman? Isn't this kind of like the perfect opportunity with the car they have for Red Bull to try to set something up for him? There is one flaw to that thinking. Max Verstappen. His Max Verstappen <laughs> just won his 13th race. Yeah. 14 will break the record for in a season. There's only three races left. If he had that record or could not get that record, then they yes, Perez is their number one driver. But I don't know because this could be a really really telling characteristic about Max Verstappen is would he will he sit in that room and go, no, I want my 14th win? Or will he sit in that room and go, give this one a check, I'll win one of the next two after that? Because I don't know. I I 
I don't know. There's so many guys I know that are just like, no, I want that. I want that title. I want that um, history making thing. And I, there's guys I know too that are just like, no, I, I've already won the championship. You take this. So well, it's a very telling thing that'll happen here is if, cause I hope, I actually hope now that you've said it, that you spoke it into existence and it's an opportunity where they are one and two and Red Bull has to make a decision on who wins. If Perez happens to be faster than Max, will they let him pass or will Max just go, no, I want my 14th win? Because we now know if anything's right that I'm saying, I think Red Bull wins Mexico, I think. But then I got Lewis winning Brazil. So there's one race left. If it goes wrong, Verstappen doesn't get that championship or that uh, history-making 14th win. Ooh, that's I did not expect that question from you because I don't know. I that's the only flaw. Of course, you give it to Perez, but that fourteenth victory for Max. You know what I think, and this is gonna. This is just such a like poop on the party thing. I think that Perez doesn't finish this race. Ah, that's what I think. I think this is so much pressure on him that he may make a mistake. Anyway, let's uh, (laughs) let's see what uh, what happens. Look, this is a lot of fun. Thank you, Tyler. Um, thanks everybody for listening. If you haven't already, please, 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 please go subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts, the Pitstop podcast, and also go check out the other podcasts we have across the network at ordinarypodcasts.com. We will hit you up next Tuesday following the Mexican Grand Prix. Until then, thanks for listening. Pitstop podcast is a presentation of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. Thanks for listening. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.